You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Welcome to Strange Familiars, covering a range of topics from the paranormal, cryptids, mythology, the occult, hauntings, UFOs, weird history, and folklore. Wherever you are listening to Strange Familiars, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or any other service, please subscribe and click the like button, and share the Strange Familiars pages and stories on Facebook and other social media. If you have experienced something strange, or if you know a story you would like us to cover, email strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. And of course, you can always find us at strangefamiliars.com. Welcome to Strange Familiars, and I am just getting over the flu, so please excuse my voice tonight. If you like what we do, and you want to help us continue to make Strange Familiars, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars and check out the different reward levels. 
Every patron at $3 a month or higher gets bonus content, including full patron-only shows. We try to do at least one patron show every month, but there are other reward levels for things like t-shirts, stickers, and more. That's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. And as always, we want to thank our current patrons for your support. This Saturday, February 3rd, 2018, I will be at Legends and Lore of the Keystone State. This event is at the State Museum in Harrisburg from 10 a.m. until 3 p.m. I will be selling and signing my books and artwork, as will several other artists, authors, and folklorists from around the region, including Thomas Waite and Mark Nesbitt, who have both appeared on Strange Familiars. There will be seminars on powwow, witchcraft in Pennsylvania, and more. This event is free, so stop by and say hello. On tonight's show, we will be talking with Alta and Chad Dillard about several high strangeness events which seem to have been kicked off by a sighting of a huge UFO. What follows are possible abductions, encounters with different types of alien beings, and a shape-changing werewolf, or Rougarou. Now, James started the interview with us, and at some point he lost his connection, so I finished up with Alta and Chad myself. Tonight we're talking with Chad and Alta Dillard. They wrote the book, Orbducted in the French Quarter. How are you guys tonight? Very good. Thank you for having us. Thanks yeah, it's on. awesome. Awesome to be with you. The book is published by Carlisle Collection Publishing. Where can people get your book? Uh, well, you can uh, contact me direct on Facebook. Uh, our Facebook page is the same as uh, the title of the book, Abducted in the French Quarter. We also have it on Etsy. So Very good. Find it, find it that way. It's a quick read, but it's very interesting. You get into some really, really interesting ideas. And it's not the typical alien abduction account when you're going into it, but let, we can just talk about that as we go along. Did you have experiences growing up? Because th- this all happened in the, the book takes place basically in, in your adulthood. Yes? Right. Yeah. Did, did you have right. experiences with strange stuff growing up at all? Well, you know, I'll just kind of jump off with this and say it rather quickly to you and, you know, expound as you care to. I have a very strange, as far as I'm concerned, history in terms of my early childhood. I don't have any memories. And I mean, I really, there are no memories until I'm about nine years old. My first memory is strange in itself. And it seems like I've got blocks of time in my early childhood that are, you know, after nine periodically that seem to blank out. So, you know, that's bizarre just in itself. I I also have, yeah, and I'll just mention also before, you know, Chad takes this, I also happen to be 10 years older than Chad. I'm a 50s baby, told that I'm of mixed native blood from a reservation area of Arizona originally. So, again, a lot of mystery. I'm raised predominantly with a mother, I had a stepfather and tell him about 15, he passed from cancer. You know, I mean, again, it's, it's strange before that. And I don't have family to, uh, you know, to reflect back on, to ask questions of and get answers from. So I'm left with a lot of mystery in my early childhood. 
Wow. And then Chad. Yeah, and and myself. You know, I I don't remember you know a whole lot. Uh, there was some there was some very my my, my dad was a, a a crop farmer in Arkansas, and I remember at a young age some very strange burnt circles out in the middle of one of the crop fields, and you know none of my, my grandfather and father and all them that had been you know farmers all their life were just very dumbfounded about it and you know things kind of poltergeisty kind of things or ghosty kind of things happen you know around my dad and my my dad's second wife but you know not a lot and you know I was never into you know ghosts or aliens or anything like that of course you know, I mean Star Wars and you know that was my generation the Star Wars and the Star Trek and all that, but you know, again, that was sci-fi, not 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 uh, anything hokey pokey. Right. The main part of your experiences seemed to kick off after a UFO sighting that you had. Well, essentially, just to kind of back it up a little bit, Chad and I meet. Um, I always use the term arranged, but I mean it very lovingly. But I mean it very directly. I'm convinced and always have been that we're arranged by some invisible hand involved in this back in 1990. Happened to be on Valentine's Day of all days. And then, um, you know, again, a lot to that story. Fast forwarding, just 24 hours later, we discover that Chad's grandfather, who had passed on by the time I came into the picture, that his grandfather's real name, his birth name, happens to be Alton. Of course, that's mine. That's creepier than strange to me and then his last name is Duncan and that's my mother's name and you know as I try to get people to think about this as I've been forced to I'm told I'm mixed native French and Scottish as well from Arizona with no Arkansas in our bloodline that we're aware of Chad's born and raised in Arkansas with no Indian in his world so the fact that this grandfather and I share the same First and last name is very bizarre to me. And it's always been bizarre to me. It's never been answered or understood. There's never been any answers. No family members of, on his side seem to know how his grandfather ends up with this first name of Alta. And, you know, again, it might not seem strange to others. It just was, it was one of those very beginnings for me. Never thinking anything necessarily paranormal, but... It is a strange uh, synchronicity, right? Like, <laughs> what 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 are the odds? You know, what I mean? right? Like the the whole right. name thing is definitely odd. That's that's right. It's, my, that's it's my very term, interesting. The odds. <laughs> so, you know, from that point of 1990, we then married a year later in 91, with the agreement that we would never have children. So neither one of us have had children in now 28 years, lots of critters, uh, anything from an alligator to, you know, your normal household babes, pups, and cats, and so on. But so now we'll go ahead and, and move to 1995. In 1995, Chad and I have moved to Louisiana. We are living in a small community called Hammond, Louisiana, which is somewhere around an hour or so outside of New Orleans. It's a small university town, college town. Um, we moved to the outskirts of that, you know, a few miles outside of that. I'll have Chad share with you 
you know, our first experience, as far as I'm concerned, of, or at least anything that I know of memory of this, I borrowed the term many years ago and I use it consistently because to me it just, it just covers all of it. For me, the, the term high strangeness, this was the night, <clears throat> you know, our high strangeness became so evident that it was not deniable anymore. And I'll have Chad share with you what that was. Yeah, we were we were coming into town for uh, dinner one evening. It was still pretty light outside, you know. It hadn't gotten dark yet, and we come around this group of trees as we come into Hammond. And back behind this group of trees is the local shopping center, you know, huge shopping center. And we get around this group of trees and we look up into the sky, and it's on the the right hand side of the road, passenger side of the road. So, you know, I'm looking up, Alta's looking up, and we see this craft, and it is massive. I mean, it is huge. It, it's pretty low to the ground, you know, it's below cloud level, you know. And like I said, it's, it was bigger than, you know, the shopping center and the parking lot. Yeah, it was like football field or stadium sized. It was just huge. It was kind of a rectangle shape, but it was not as wide on one end as the other. Two or three lights, very, very flat on the bottom, you know, sharp angles, moving, if at all, real slow. Just, I mean, and we're looking at this thing. Of course, you know, I'm kind of trying to watch the road, too, because there is traffic around now. Nobody's pulling over and pointing up into the sky or anything like that, you know, so we're looking at this and Alta kind of looks back at me and I look at her like, okay, she saw it too. And then I'll, I'll look back up for just a second, you know, just to make sure I saw what I saw and it was still there. I just focused my attention back to the road and it was like in my mind, you know, I was like, okay, if, if I don't acknowledge it, if I don't see anything, if I, you know, if it, maybe it won't see me, you know, maybe it won't know it. I saw it. We went on to dinner. We never spoke about it. You know, it was just, it, it was mind blowing. Now we never spoke about it until the next day. There was a report on either, you know, the radio or something like that, that, other people had called this in, you know, to authorities or whatever. But we probably would have never spoken about it until. But, you know, when we heard somebody else speak about it, we were like, okay, we did see something, you know, it was. And that was, you know, it was eye opening and very mind blowing. When you say it, it just had a couple lights, could you see any color of the actual craft? It was very black, you know, almost, you know, and very straight, very smooth. You know, like I said, I didn't look at it very long because, you know, I was driving and there was traffic and everything. But it, it looked very black, you know, two or three lights in the front, three or four lights in the back, you know, clean white lights. And, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we saw. And like I said, it was just massive. It was huge. Now, you guys didn't talk about this until the following day, right? And you said there were 
witnesses had come forward and it was documented that, that other people had seen this? Yeah, we heard it either on the radio or... I believe we turned on the car radio yeah. the next morning and it was being, you know, announced that this had been reported. And how did, uh, how did, that, how, how did it make you feel to hear, to hear that after like a, a night of like just not talking about it? Well, I'll, I'll interject at this point. Chad has always been much calmer in his description because he actually looked at it. I went into shock. I don't remember ever being in shock prior to that. Now, again, I've got childhood memory missing, but I don't ever remember being in shock before. And on that event, I went into shock because my head, my head, you know, jerked away instantly. And I'm staring at Chad while he's driving the car, silently begging him to tell me that that's not there. That can't be there. Now, you know, this weird behavior is just as strange to me as all the rest of it. I agree. I, 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 right. Now I've experienced stuff like that where it's just like, it's just odd. It's, it's just, it's very strange. You, you go into yeah. this, this almost like other state where it's, yes. uh, I, I mean, for me, I don't know that I describe it as shock, but it's, it's, it's like shock. It's something very much like shock. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. it's just unreal feeling kind of. You know, in my case, it was paralyzing. As I said, I turned away from it instantly. I did not take it in. It was so big. There was no ignoring that this whole thing, this something was from one side of the sky to the other in front of, you know, it was just like, no, no. And so I just, I found myself like just paralyzed inside, staring at Chad. So that, you know, that's my addition to that experience, which was we were not talking about it. That, that wasn't going to happen. That was a non-event. Without skipping ahead too, too much, yeah. I, just, I just have a, a question that sort of relates. Having experienced other things since that time, do you think you would react the same way if you saw it again you know, tomorrow night? Hell no. Oh, man, we'd be out there stamping pictures. No. <laughs> hey, come get us. <laughs> you know, I don't know about that necessarily, but maybe. <laughs> Who knows? But oh, if, no. If you're friendly. <laughs> you know, you do better when you know better. Yeah, yeah. And I know nothing. Let me preface that. I'll have Chad speak for himself. He's good at that, about his thoughts on all. But I admit, I know nothing. And, you know, that's frustrating. That's more frustrating for me than it is for folks who think that they're hearing something they don't want to hear. Because people want to hear something. They want to hear something, mm-hmm. a truth. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. I, I, having written books and, and done the podcast... <laughs> People get very frustrated when, you know, my specialty tends to be Bigfoot, for instance, but they'll say, what is it? And when I say, I don't know, I can tell they get very frustrated. But, I mean, that's the honest answer. That's right. That's the only answer I have. That's all I know. So in that experience, of course, you know, we are are just, we're, that's a non-event. But then all of a sudden we hear it on the radio and, oh, dang, you know, that means that means something else. Somebody else out there saw it. Right. It. Well, Chad, how about you? How did it make you feel since you actually had, like, you know, you laid eyes on it and observed it for a, a little bit longer than she had? Well, it, you know, in one hand, I'm, I'm like, okay, well, at least I wasn't seeing things, you know, and I'm right. not crazy. But right. then on the other hand, you're going, 
oh my god, this is crazy. You know, why am I seeing th things? You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> why? You know, how did how did you get so lucky? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and you know why did other people see it? You know. It was so huge. Yeah, why wasn't everybody pulling you know, over, pulling over and, and pointing into the sky, and pointing and, and something? So, but we didn't either. Yeah. So it's kind of that two-edged sword, you know. Um, thank God I'm not nuts, but oh God, it feels nuts. But yeah, oh God, it feels nuts. <laughs> so how long uh, after that? And if I'm skipping ahead, correct me because it's I I read the book, but it's been a little bit. For, for for those, uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording. Chad Nalta sent me the book uh, some months ago, and I read it, and the holidays happened, and I was writing my book, and, and various things got timing issues. So we've been we've been trying to organize this for a while. So if, if I'm leaving something out, feel free to correct me. But how long after that did you start doing the, was it tarot readings that you started doing, Alta? Um, I actually, probably within... Of that event, I would say within a couple months. That is very interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. It, well, let me mention very quickly, because I believe it may have been edited out of the book. You know, our little book started off much larger and then was edited to what the folks felt was the most important, which they call the main event. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, if people are interested, take all of it in. Sure. And in yeah. my case, the short story is, is my first memory when I tell you the strangeness of my beginnings, my first memory is truly sitting in a hospital setting in a very sanitized environment. I'm somewhere around nine years old. This would have made it 66, 67, somewhere in that age. So I'm nine, 10. And I'm being tested for ESP in what I discovered was a military hospital. Now, when I tell folks that part of this story, you know, they immediately have me part of this MK Ultra stuff, and they've immediately got me tagged as, you know, whatever they determine I'm going to be. I can only share what I've experienced with nothing else more or less. And in my case, my first memory is being tested for ESP in a military hospital in Aurora, Colorado. Wow. The hospital's... Right. The hospital's name is Fitzsimmons Military Hospital in Aurora that they have just recently relocated to another part of Colorado, maybe Colorado Springs or something. I'm not sure, but I can get no information. And believe me, I have now spent the last 20 years of my life dedicated to trying to get answers that are not there. Grant Cameron that is becoming, you know, quite renowned, I guess, in the UFO world or what have you. He is somebody that I was told immediately I should make contact with because he's got access to all kinds of, you know, government kind of stuff and what have you, writing about UFOs and presidents and I believe some of his titles. Well, anyhow, he was kind enough at least, the conversation was extremely brief, but at least he responded to me because so often nobody does. And in the very short email he sent me, it was the response of my request of, asking if he could give any guidance or what have you about trying to get these records of me being tested in this hospital as a child. And he made it real clear in a very nice way, and I'm paraphrasing it, you know, no way, Jose, that's not going to happen. And so that was very disheartening, and yet I still don't stop. I mean, I never will. 
I'm trying to understand. For those listening, uh, um, it has been suggested in regards to other paranormal cases, including an ongoing investigation that I'm involved in, why don't you just get the police records? It's not that simple. I'm an author. I've written several books. I'm, I'm considered part of the press. I filed several Freedom of Information Act requests for things, a FOIA <laughs> request. They're never answered. The police just don't answer them. And then unless you have a lawyer, which, you know, who can afford a lawyer, I'm, you know, to actually force them to comply, you're not going to get the information anyway. So I would imagine the same applies. It's it's not as easy as people think to just get police records or just get, no. get medical records or just, you know, just get these records. It's it really takes a, a major news organization has a has, you know, enough force behind them where they can do it. But if it's just, you know, you and me. That the police just simply, in the case of the police or in the case of the military, they just simply ignore the request. What are you going to do about it? Right. What are you going to do? So anyhow, you know, in in regards to the question, I'll I'll mention also. I don't know how to read tarot. What I use are symbols that are now sold as the Native American tarot deck. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. I never knew that this existed until I moved to the French Quarter, kind of moving ahead here. Uh, they were put into my hands by a man who who was known. I had no interest in this area, but this gentleman had the largest coven in, I don't know, this well, part of the country yeah. or what have you. And again, this is all foreign language to me. I'm not into go. I'm not into witchcraft or, you know, anything. I'm not into anything. And uh, just you know, kind of experiencing this strange life. But anyhow, this gentleman that owned this, that was the head of this big coven, he, for some reason, again, this is all just so freaking bizarre. I'm in my late 30s at this stage of my life, and this man looks at me, and all of a sudden he knows something about me. Well, that creeped me out. And he pulls these symbols out of his personal bag that he had on his hip, you know, a man bag kind of thing. And he puts them in my hands and... I'm like, what the? And he's indicating to me that I was to look at these. And as I look at these symbols, I'm looking at what I understand are my family. My mother tells me that I'm Nez Perce and Blackfoot. Nez Perce on my mother's side, Blackfoot on my father's side. But she indicates that we are from a reservation area connected with Geronimo in Arizona. So these chiefs or these historical known men are in these symbols and all of a sudden these symbols start you know they just it's like being with my family and so this is what i use and i always have and that's all that i use so were you, were you, you know, taught this or did you pick it up just intuitively oh it just you know your word intuitively it just it just seemed to come fairly natural it's very strange because oh, it's, it's not something though. my mother always said that she was aware from the time that I could start to speak. Now, I hate making this sound like this is all about me, but just the briefness of my beginnings. She said that um, from the time that I could start speaking, that I was a prophetic dreamer, you know, her, her words, and that, you know, I'd be dreaming about adult subjects I shouldn't be knowing nothing about. And, again, just paraphrasing all of this conversation. I'd like to add, you know, every time that she mentioned this kind of stuff, I would die inside of embarrassment. I just cringed for any of this. So, you know, that just kind of will help you understand it was not a subject I was gravitated towards. I worked very hard to 
avoid having any sense of these extra senses and using them and thinking this was a good thing. It was just relatively very shortly after we had that event that we then relocated to the French Quarter, and I'll mention extremely naive. You know, I love to preface that because at that point, Chad and I are not aware at all of the expense of living in the French Quarter. And as I say, we were not prepared for that. And that's all just kind of part of our story as well. Um, you know, our first location, and again, it would take way too much time. And But I would like to mention people who have heard about us and know that these things are part of our experiences seem very interested in this portion of it. So I'll kind of highlight it. And if you care to, you know, Chad certainly has much to say about this particular time frame. So now this is about 1995. We've moved to the French Quarter, not prepared for it. We're naive in the sense of the expense, and we're also extremely naive in the sense of the energies, such as voodoo, hoodoo, uh, witchcraft, vampires. Not a world either one of us are familiar with. I come from a native world. That's pretty spooky enough on many levels. And so, you know, so much of the world I came from, it was not a world that I experienced, but the lore that I had been raised with, you know, the stories and what have you. My mom had passed down. I use the word Sasquatchy. I've always kind of babied up some of the language to take the scary out of it. You know, Sasquatch and ghost and whatever I refer to as ghosties. So the ghosty stuff seem almost normal to me as I'm growing up in my life, that other side of my life's experiences. This other business, all these energies of, you know, what could be considered very dark if it chose to be, it's not something Chad and I were familiar with. And we ended up right in the heart of it. Our first apartment was above a voodoo temple. And it was due to economics. I'll just leave you with this portion of it. We had much happen to us simultaneously, together and apart, either connected to that apartment or on the grounds of that voodoo temple. It just seemed to launch us into, oh, man, you know, hang on, because it's getting crazy now. Hmm. A book has been written about that apartment. I'll tell that in just a second. A guy came out of New York City, moved himself to New Orleans to write specifically about that freaking apartment and uh, a murder-suicide that took place in that apartment 10 years after we lived there. The book is called Shake Off the Devil or Shake the Devil Off, and it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific what took place in that apartment. But now... The experiences Chad and I had 10 years prior to that were a lot of trickstery, high trickstery, poltergeisty, ghost, time slips kind of experiences. But, you know, 10 years to follow now in that apartment, we have this horrific murder-suicide. And then, uh, as I said, this guy comes here and writes this book about it, best-selling from what I understand kind of put New Orleans, strangely enough, on the map in the weirdest way, because this all took place around Katrina. And then um, Chad and I just moved back to New Orleans. We'd been gone since 2001. We moved back in 2016. And when we returned, that apartment and that voodoo temple burned down. So it seemed to be on a 10-year run. We lived there 20 years ago. 10 years later, this horrific murder-suicide 10 years later, it's destroyed. It's just all very strange and creepy. 
that then leads us to what the actual book, I believe, is you know predominantly about. Sure, sure. But uh, when you moved into that apartment, were you reading cards already at that point, or did you move in there first and then start reading? Right. I began about. I began all around the same time. All around the same time. It's right. it's just very interesting that that happens after the UFO sighting. So many people. Oh yeah. There's stories of so many people that either feel like they they are gifted with some kind of psychic power afterwards, or you know people will start writing where they didn't write before. Some people will start painting, right. you know, where they weren't painters before. It's very very interesting. That, We've that, done all that. We've taken up all of that since. Since the the see that's pretty amazing. Right, we became traveling artists, you know, truly the starving artists kind of what have you and uh for many years in a motorhome around the Ohio Valley, you know, just traveling from show to show each weekend and yeah, that's exactly what happened with us. We had the ability because never having children to be, you know, pretty flexible. Mm-hmm. And we've just taken advantage of it. So yeah, we're a part of all of that. What I hear seems to be the trend with so many of us. You're doing the readings. You're living in that apartment. Wasn't there another uh, thing in the book with like a a, a missing person or, or uh, a friend of yours that went missing? Was it? So in the very beginning of the book, this part is still in the book. It was not edited out, which is very important, I feel, to the rest of the story. When Chad and I meet in 1990, we have a mutual friend. I was very close to her and Chad you know, was close to her also on a different level. We all knew each other differently, but came together and figured out we all knew each other. Well, that friend was murdered three months after Chad and I moved in with each other. And she was, we worked in the medical field and she was, you know, it was a, there's nothing good about that word period, but it was horrendous. There's my word again what happened to her. And she only lived a mile away from us. And we became targeted by the police. And we were, it was a horrendous, it was just a horrendous time for us. Is this uh, happening just from at, the very, around the, that same time period? This is in the very beginning. Oh, this, this is, is in bef- 1990. This is before you saw the, the, uh, the craft. The craft, right. Okay, okay. Yeah, this, we, we hadn't even in, gotten married at this point. Yeah, we, this, we were... Brand new. We, uh, we were just our first three months with each other. So that happens in the beginning of our relationship. Now, in 1997 is what the book is written about. We have another woman involved in that night with us. It's not just Chad and I that have that experience. There are three of us. Right. Well, let's, After get, that let's get into that. It's if you don't mind. No, uh, absolutely. You, you were just uh, going out for a night right uh on the town or right we went out for dinner or something it was just just a, it was an average night in other words it wasn't right uh, yeah it's, so i guess go ahead and take it from the beginning okay um chad's having me start it again and then i'll hand this off to him so this is 1997 my mom has just died about three months prior to our event she happened to die on my birthday and uh Chad and I were beyond devastated and really struggling, but managing. I wasn't managing well. Chad was doing much better, but we were both struggling. I worked in a shop that was owned by a family since 1929. They still own this shop. So at that point, it had been in business, you know, 70 years. 
they were somewhat of an exclusive shop, meaning again, that they kind of catered, well, they catered to everyone, tourism, but because they'd been around for so long and they ran a very tight ship, keeping it in the family, they worked with lots of phenoms, lots of celebrities of all area, sports, movies, what have you. People using, you know, this location for readings, to get readings. And so they bring me on board and I become a reader in the shop and I'm doing really well. And, but now my mom has died and I'm not doing well at all in the sense of my emotional status. This, they'd hired a young woman, we call her Christine in the book. So I'll just give you the, you know, the ages. At that time I had just turned 40, Chad was 30 and Christine was 24. Christine's tall, slender, long blonde hair, very attractive, pretty, has an amazing laugh, She's no drama queen at all. I consider her somebody, and I knew this at the time that I met her, somebody who's very committed to right and wrong. She's, you know, I say this very lovingly, a do-gooder. She's gone on since this experience to get her degree in environmental science, just to give you an idea. Her intention is to save the earth and children. She's very committed to children. Okay, so that's her personality. The family brought her on board to kind of run that shop and you know sales and kind of keep all of us readers in line and what have you she knew how sad i was about my mom's death she asked me if i wanted to go out that night we'd never done it before have dinner and drinks in the quarter chad and i lived in the quarter so we only lived a couple blocks from the shop so i said yes i said let's call chad and have him join us so christine didn't live in the quarter at the time she lived across the river where she either had to drive her car or she took a ferry back and forth to the shop or to get into the quarter. On this particular day, she had driven her car that morning, parked her car up the street from our shop. Now, our shop happened to be on the opposite end of the quarter. The quarter's about 13 blocks square. Everybody does everything on foot. So we're going to start on one end of the quarter and just work our way across it. Christine had never been married and had ch no had children either, so she was very free and flexible like we were. We're going to have a spontaneous night. We've got no plans. The minute we step outside of the shop, it's about 9.30. It's just the three of us. I took note instantly the minute we stepped out of that shop. Now, please know that I don't walk around talking, you know, psychic shit. I, excuse me. You know, I, just, I mean, I just, I just don't, I'm not a woo-woo-y kind of person. But I am very connected to energy and always have been. So my point is, is when we step out of that shop, all of a sudden I take note that the energy is off. Now, I don't even know how to describe that and to say that to you. It felt different. And I remember saying something about it. They both took note of it also. And I like to reckon it to, you know, you know your neighborhood. We lived in the quarter, so we knew the rhythm of the quarter. It felt off. Okay. That's, you know, whatever. That was our first beginnings. So we start our night. 9.30, on one end of the quarter, and we're just going to work our way across. To speed this story up, because there's a whole lot to this, each location that we stopped at, well, first of all, we all took note that there's, where is everybody? That was our language. Where is everybody? And I mean, there were a few stragglers. The quarter never sleeps. I mean, it never sleeps for the most part. So we don't see people. We see a few folks, but we just don't see people. We're still not thinking too much other than what the hey is going on. 
every location that we stopped at, three of them, three locations across the quarter, across those 13 blocks, there were no people. There were no patrons. If there were restaurant, there was no wait staff, and there were no customers. Each location had one person that we could detect, either a bartender or a manager. A couple of the locations we knew very well. Chad had worked at one of them when we'd first moved to the quarter a couple of years prior. Chad used to be in the food industry, you know, in, in the restaurant business. So, you know, it, it wasn't happening. There was nobody at any of these locations except a bartender or a manager. By the time we get to the other end of the quarter, we're all so frustrated we can't hardly breathe. It's like, this is nuts. We never stayed in any of the places. We never drank. We never drugged. Nor, to the best of our knowledge, was there anybody around to drug us because that would have been welcomed at the stage of you know, our understanding of what is going on. So I call it the twilight zone. We truly have stepped into a twilight zone. We get to the other end of the quarter. It's around 11 o'clock. That's the last thing the three of us collectively remember together is 11 o'clock. Being on a street, me saying to Chad, I just want to go home. I'm so bored, I just want to go home. Those are my last words. And then the next thing that I know is it's now the next morning. I'm not waking up, I'm coming to, and I'm sitting straight up in my living room, my living room. I've got sun blaring through my window, and I'm sitting Indian style like I am right now, which I do when I'm always alone or private. I'm rubbing my arms. I can feel that there's something in my upper left arm, and I am wigging out. You know, I'm trying to watch my language. I'm, I'm flipping out because everything's hitting me instantly. One minute I'm on a street, next minute I'm in my house, it's daylight. I seem to be the only one out of the three of us that came back from this experience, returned from this experience, woke up from this experience, came to from it with memory. My memories of the in-between. I don't have any of coming off the street and I have none of coming home. Mine's all in-between. You know, I come to and, and I am beyond flipping out and I'm my eyes are scanning around my house I've got visual into my bedroom I see a big lump in my bed covered up in the blankets I'm praying to God that it, that lump is my lump meaning Chad I'm only counting one lump I don't see a second lump which tells me my friend is not there or if she is I can't see her I'm not even sure if that lump is mine so this is all happening instantly I, you know, I get up, I start to head for that lump, and my bathroom detracts me, you know, sidetracks me. It's right there. I go into my bathroom, get a pair of tweezers to deal with whatever the, is going on with my upper arm. I deal with that for a moment in the bathroom by myself. I'm flipping out. I come out of that bathroom, and I'm going to go to that lump, and that better be Chad. At that point, when I'm heading to the bedroom, Chad is already up. Now, he's, he's awoken. He's coming towards me. I'm coming towards him. He can see that I am flipping out. I can see in his face he can't answer anything for me. I can tell that instantly, that he is blank. He's got no answers. But I'm begging him to tell me something. Well, he's, you know, in his quietness, begging me to tell him how we got home last night. Our friend is missing. 
So, you know, I pointed out the beginning of our story with the friend that was murdered because we went through unbelievable hell with the police over that. That took 20 years to be solved, but let me mention that, that our friend's murder was solved by DNA, but it took 20 years. You know, there's been a monster out there that we never knew who it was. Some psychic I'm not. I only knew a monster had done this to her, and it took 20 years, and it was finally solved. But keep this in mind, our friend is missing. My coworker and friend is missing. That's what we come to and I wake up to and Chad wake or I come to and he wakes up to. So it took two days before we got reconnected with her. Oh, wow. And right. Right. Yeah. It was like, it was my next morning. I'm like, call, call, call Christine. And, and out is like, no, you call Christine. I'm like, I'm not calling Christine. It was just, you know, we were so, we were just out. so afraid. We were so afraid. We never left our house. There was nowhere to turn. Now there said, was nobody to talk to. You Sorry? said you went to deal with the, the, the something in your arm. Were you able to deal with it? Or or what did you see or what did you find when, when you went to deal with it? Right. So what it is is it's just underneath the upper, the top layer of skin, and it's a lump. And at the time that I'm rubbing my arms, when I came to, I felt something prickly as my fingers were running over my arm and I'm like, what, you know, again, this is all happening instantaneously. I'm, I'm also, I can't believe that I may, I have consciousness to, you know, to detect this, but I'm also detecting why doesn't this hurt? How come something sharp is sticking out of my arm, but it doesn't hurt. What? Now I don't have time to really process all of this. This is all happening at one time. When I get in the bathroom and I get those tweezers, the prickly part, it's extremely tiny. I mean, you know, a quarter, eighth of an inch, and I might be exaggerating. I'm so bad on numbers and distance, but it's extremely tiny. But let me point this out. When it's in my arm, kind of sticking out of my arm, out of that lump, it's got a sharpness to it and solid. When I pulled that out with those tweezers, I had it between my fingers, it became... Oh, it became kind of liquidy and it was dissolving and it was flipping me out. That's my words. I don't even know how to find words any longer. I was losing my mind. I turned on the faucet and I began scrubbing my fingers to the point of where you know, we hear people say this, that you thought you were going to bleed. I thought I was going to bleed. I didn't know what it was, but it had to get gone. I was, again, in so much. I was, I was beyond. It left a teeny, teeny, tiny hole, you know, in this lump. Now, the lump is still there. So by the time I get to Chad, he, I'm just now coming out of that experience. And he can see, you know, in my reaction, my face, maybe I'm crying. I'll have Chad tell you what he saw. Because I was too busy with the front of my body, dealing with this, whatever this was, in my upper arm, by myself in that bathroom. I didn't take time to examine my body, my whole body. Because this is all happening very quickly, but I'll have Chad share with you. He saw. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Yeah, you know, I, I, I got up the next morning, you know, I, and again, I didn't, I'm like, you know, how the heck did we get home? So, you know, I'm walking towards Alta, and she's like, there was this thing in my arm, and she's pointing, you know, at this thing, you know, that she'd seen in her arm, and I, I, I get over there close to look, and I notice uh, these bruises, and they were like finger you know, it was like somebody had, you know, there were only four digits, very long. They went all the way around her arm. It was like as if, you know, somebody was holding her from behind or, you know, maybe there was two of them, one, one on each side. But it was like, you know, just these fingerprints, bruises. Now, they only lasted for like 24 hours. And, you know, of course, I saw the little hole and the bump on her arm also. But, yeah, it just was very strange. Oh, my God. That's putting it mildly. I mean, it's just we've had people ask over the years about pictures. And I'm like, what the pictures? Oh, my God. That is not something that was even contemplated when this was happening to us. We still have a friend that's missing. And... You know, what the hell is happening to us? I yeah, keep saying of, that because what else can you say? A lot of times when you're when you're in the you know, the moment, the last thing you're thinking about is taking pictures. I often yeah. get into that discussion with people in, in all parts of the paranormal. The, the really is often the last thing you're thinking about is, is oh, I should take a picture. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I don't even think we even owned a camera back then I and mean, you know, just... that was before cell phones and all that kind of stuff too, so But again, you know, the point is, is just keeping the rationale of all of this, if there can be such a thing, you know, the psychology of all of this is just reliving those moments, those experiences of all that cannot be answered, that can't be answered. Thank thank the gods that our friend, you know, she reconnected. I saw her at work. It was two days later. And I saw, you know, that's where her and I got reconnected was at work. If I might... Again, for time's sake, she's given us permission to speak on her behalf, and I like to interject her portion of this experience because she very wisely, as I've said before, has chosen to never go public over this, um, but certainly understands that once we have, it's very hard, as they say, to put the genie back in the bottle. Sure. It was never never our intention to write books. We don't write books. Never our intention to be public about any of this it just kind of happenstamps several years ago. And as I said, once it began, then it's a matter now of just trying to get our voice heard or at least add us to the list of what is happening to folks. Cause as I've always said, if this can be happening to us, this is happening to anybody and whatever it is. So in her case, we're still friends long distance, but we are still connected with her, you know, 20 years later. So, she indicates that her last memory is just like Chad and mine together, the three of us at 11 o'clock on that street. And the next thing she knows, 
she's not wondering. She knows. She's behind the steering wheel of her moving car. Ooh. And her car, right, right. Car is moving slowly, and it hit a parked car, and it knocked off her rearview mirror. So it jolted her, too, just like I came to. Jolted her, too. And then, again, a lot to her story. But to add to that, you know, the car is in a different section of the city from where she'd parked the car that morning. There's no understanding that at all. There's no memory of that car being moved. Nothing. She's on a street with us. And then this. Did she relate this to you like that, you know, two days later, like as soon as you saw her at work or did this come out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) She sure did. I mean, it was like, but she did it so calmly. And, you know, I'm, I'm dying inside because I've got something in my upper arm. And, and I seem to be the only one out of the three of us. And I also seem to be the only one that's got this crazy memory of my experience that didn't involve her or Chad. Now, Chad's had regression done several years later, like in 2002, I believe, or somewhere in there, in another state. We left Louisiana, moved to Alabama, actually, for a period of time where his family lived, and he had regression done. So in Chad's case, this is his truth. I don't know what's true and what's not true, but I know that this is his truth. And so I love Chad and respectful of him. And, you know, I honor that this is his truth. But I'd like to add that whatever that's all about in his regression, because he's got a full-blown story, it doesn't involve me at all. I'm not involved. And possibly our friend is in his story, but we're not even sure of that. So it would appear that all three of us have completely different accounts of that night. Wow. Now, I'm sure you've heard the various arguments for and against regression. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm completely neutral in it myself. I lean towards, um, because I, I have some, what I call maybe abduction experiences. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I lean That's good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I ever left my bed. But I right. don't know. There's some very, right. very strange memories. But anyway, I lean for myself personally, just for myself uh, to maybe I don't think I want to have it done, but mm-hmm. I don't fault anyone for having it done. And and there was a time where I was leaning more towards like, yeah, I want to have that done and I, I want to know. But your experience, Chad, with regression, do you feel was a, a positive one? Yeah. Uh, now, the, the regressionist, you know, was not like trained in my in this kind of arena or this or whatever. So I, I think there's more to it. You know, I think there's more. We still think there's in there. more still in there that, that didn't come but, out. But what came out in in my story was very positive. I had, I had no probing, no negative kind of, you know, <laughs> energy or never scared, nervous, hurt that I can remember. So I, I do believe it's a, you know it was a positive thing. Would now be the time to ask what you found out? Sure. Yeah. Um, so again, in my memory, in my my conscious memory, you know, I I remember that night being same way Alta described it earlier. My last memory is being there on that stoop the next morning, you know, in bed, 
So in my regression, we're standing on that stoop, you know, mid-block, and I noticed a bright light coming from kind of through the windows of the building that we were next to and coming from around the corner. So I get the girl's attention, and we walk around the corner, and there's this beautiful, bright, white, light orb of energy. And it's about half half a block down the street. It's about 15 foot off the ground, and it's about 12 foot in diameter. So it's pretty big. We come around the corner, we see it, we sit there for maybe a, a second or two, and it just comes towards us, and it just engulfs us, it just takes us in, it abducts us. My next memory is I'm walking down this corridor, the, the walls and everything and the floor, the very metallic gray color, no rivets, no bolts, no seams, you know, just all kind of going together. I'm following this little being like he's, you know, pointing the way or, you know, taking me somewhere. But I'm following this little being. He's probably about three and a half, four foot tall, big bulbous head, this gray pale skin. Now I only saw him from behind, so I didn't see his face or anything that I remember. Now he wasn't like the grays that you see on TV. You know, he he had substance to him. You know, he kind of waddled when he walked. He, he was kind of dwarfish. You know, he was heavy set, you know. Out of the corner of my eye, I could t see a tall blonde female walking beside me, but I never turned to see who it was. You know, this does describe our friend that was with us, but I, again, I did not, I don't remember turning to see who it was. My next memory is I'm in this room and it just seems infinite. It just seems huge. Now, it's very dark. I can't see walls or anything like that. Now, to my left, I can see a tall blonde female laying on an examining table. There's three beings around her, and the beings around her are like seven, eight foot tall, very tall. And they were kind of buggish looking or praying manisy looking almost. You know, their big eyes and their mouth was close to their chin. Their arms were kind of crinkled like a, like a praying mantis almost, you know, bent. Now, they were wearing these cloaks, kind of like a Jesuit priest or a Grim Reaper without the hoodie kind of thing. The person on the table never seemed to be in distress or anything like that, almost like she was, you know, out of it, you know, just unconscious. I focused my attention back to my immediate area, and I look over to my right, and there's this little blue bean. And when I say blue, this was just this electric, beautiful blue. His energy, his aura was that of like a professor slash shaman, scientist, you know, healer. Just this old, ancient knowledge. Very small. He was, you know, he looked a lot like the grays that you see on TV, but he was again this bright blue. You know, he was very thin, four foot tall, big bulbous head, almond-shaped eyes. And he goes over and he gets this box and he has it in his right hand. He takes his left hand and puts it into the side of the box. 
And when he pulls his hand out, there's this kind of blobby substance. And it's kind of free-floating above his hand. I don't even remember him setting the box down, but he takes his right hand. Now, he's only got four digits. He takes his right hand, and he takes his two middle fingers and puts them up almost kind of like in a peace sign or what you see, you know, priests or, you know, Buddhist priests or, or depictions of Jesus, you know, with their outer fingers, you know, pulled into each other. And when he does this, this substance starts spinning. Now, this substance is the same color blue he is. And it's kind of, you can, it's kind of translucent. So you can kind of almost see through it. And you can see little sparkly, kind of glittery, metally flakes through it. And, but when he takes his, you know, puts his right hand up and his middle fingers up, this stuff starts spinning. And the faster it spun, the, the blueness and the, the sparkly stuff kind of dissipate out of it. And they're kind of free-floating around it, almost orbiting it, like, you know, the sun in the universe and all that kind of stuff. And it starts slowing down, and it had turned into this double-pointed, very clean, pyramid-shaped crystal. And I remember thinking to him, you know, why are you showing this to me? You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an engineer. This is, this is, you know, this is something important. Why are you showing this to me? And he told me I would know in time or when it's time. Now, this was all telepathic. You know, this was all, you know, without using our mouth or anything like that. My next memory is I'm in this other room, and there's only three walls, two that are very straight and one that's kind of concave. <laughs> and again, the walls are very smooth to the and you know metallic, no rivets, no bolts. There's this overstuffed leather chair in the middle of the room, and I can't. And I, I, I'm like very out of place, and it looks comfortable, but it's not. So I focus my attention to the wall that's kind of concaved and I walk a little closer to it. And what I thought was a solid wall, it was, it, I could see through it. It was translucent. I could see through it. It was like a big wall window and it was, you know, 15 foot long, probably eight foot tall. And I could see, you know, stars and planets and I could see like the universe out there. It was just huge. I could, it went on forever. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm looking and all of a sudden this little craft shoots past just outside this wall window. Just, I mean, if I could have put my hand out the window, I could have touched it. It was that close. And it zoomed past and it gets about eight, nine foot past and it stops and it comes back. And it's like we're face to face, you know, between, you know, the wall, this wall window between us. And it had little blinky lights and little wires and antennas moving around. I could feel intelligence coming out of it. It was almost like it was surprised to see me as I was it. And it sat there for 30, 40 seconds at the most probably. And then zoomed off in the same way that it was going in. And my next memory is waking up in bed the next morning. Wow. I, just having uh, my... 
own less than pleasant experience with Grays. Yeah. You, you say you felt no fear that to me, that's just incredible because to me, they always just oozed fear and, 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 uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, just, just bad feelings, you know, from, from, the yeah, it's just yeah. it's very interesting that that the, the difference in experience, you know. Yeah, and I'm no and I'm no Braveheart, you know. I mean, I uh, anxieties and all that kind of stuff. Now, of course, it's much worse now than it was before my experience. But you know, I'm not. You know, I I, I can be a nervous Nelly at times, and to not be scared or worried or anything like that. I don't remember any pain. So, you know, it was almost like, you know, I was, I don't want to say hypnotized, but almost like something had calmed me down. You know what I mean? Something had yeah. kept, kept me from panicking, you know? And, and then when I was around the blue being, that was just, that was just nothing but, you know, all he oozed was love and, and kindness and all that. So... It never, you know, that really kind of kept me, I, I believe, calm. He was like a little scientist shaman, you know, where science and shamanism kind of come together. Right. Now, do you, you know, and in my experience, I just was going to add this yes, real quickly. Go, go ahead. Go ahead sure. Without, the, you know, the d details and all, and tell you were ready or if you were interested. But in my experience, I'm with a being... That is none of what Chad described, and what I counted in Chad's explanation is at least, at least four, okay, possibly so, five. So you said and in my case, th sorry. this goes back to uh, before you said you have some memory of in between. So th that's what you're talking about when you say you do have some recollection. Right. I was, you know, I was with a being. Um, well, yeah. Please tell us. She's nothing like what he described. At all. And our friend, Christine, she has no memory of, you know, from 11 till somewhere between three and four. That's completely missing. But I told you, you know, she comes back behind her car, steering wheel of her car. Again, just to add this to the craziness of all of this, she encountered her experience prior to us, let's just say taken, just for the sake of conversation, because I don't know what else to call it. Sure. Night yeah, of missing cool. time. But prior to us having that night of missing time, she, I'm talking very prior, maybe days, weeks prior to that night, she had a very up close and personal, just a couple inches in front of her freaking face in daylight experience with a, I call him Wolfie boy, a dude that turned into a wolf. He turned into a wolf right in front of her face. Now, this is not a chick that goes around and says this thing. She doesn't say these things. And I feel that she told me because, again, of my Native background. Because I don't believe she just went around and told anybody. She shared it with Chad and me. Well, that's just prior to us having this crazy experience. Wolfie Boy then ends up being part of her encounter after she comes to in her car. He's still in the story. So, you know, here we have a cryptid kind of whatever. Sure, yeah. Part of this. 
Uh, and then uh, Chad, you know. All right, now I don't know where, where to go. Let, let's start with what you remember of the, the being you were with. And and then I definitely want to get back to the Wolfie <laughs> fella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Wolfie fella. <laughs> okay, well, um, if, if you've seen the book, uh, it's her. That's how I like to refer to her. This blonde female, very human looking, but a whole lot more. And what I mean by that is one minute I'm on a street saying I want to go home. The next thing I know, I'm now standing on the edge of a crater. The short story is I feel like I'm, to, to, to describe it to you, it, you know, my best description is color of this experience is like I'm in a black and white movie of the so-called moon landings. Don't think I buy into any of it, but that's, you know, my take on this. No, I understand. That's what, thank you. Yeah. That's what it looks like around me. Now, I'm looking down in a crater. I don't know craters, but it seemed pretty freaking big. And it's got lights all around it, all around its perimeter. Balls of light that I used to, in the beginning of all of this, recall. I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember thinking this, but as it's time has passed, who knows? But it certainly feels like those balls, those orbs of light had intelligence to them. Anyhow... It was the lighting of this experience. And as I look down in that crater, I see what looks like a metallic, I thought, who knows, warehouse, uh, hangar, craft. I have no idea. But that's to kind of give you a visual of size. Um, There's no movement down there at all of anything. Nothing's moving. All I see is this metallic thing. By the time I'm, you know, trying to take that in, all of a sudden I'm aware of something behind me. I don't walk. I just pivot around. And like Chad's story about that weird chair in his experience, the one that looked comfortable but he knew it wasn't, I've got weird in my story just the same in my behavior as far as I'm concerned. When I turn around, when I pivot around, I've got folks that look human, that appear to be dogpiled several feet away from me that are all dressed of different ages, maybe three. I didn't have enough time to take it really in. This is again happening very quickly. But, you know, after fact, so anti-Alta behavior is I'd want to help you to death rather than ignore you. Here I see folks that are piled. Now, nobody seemed in distress. As Chad said earlier in his experience, these folks look like they were in suspended animation. Again, that's what I'm taking in. Next thing I know, before I can act on that, move towards them, try to understand that bigger, deeper, what have you, this female is standing now right next to me. We're almost touching on the edge of that crater. She is over six foot tall because I have to kind of crank my head back to look up at her. She is, whatever your version of perfection is, she is. In stature, in beauty, in energy, she is perfect. She has long blonde hair past her shoulders. I don't remember eye color at all. The only thing that keeps coming to me all these years is dark, dark eyes. 
Um, but I just, I honestly don't remember. I always hear folks talk about their version of, they say that I'm with these Nordics. Again, their language, not my language at all. Sure. Um, but whatever it is, everybody says, you know, they're always aware they've got these bright blue eyes or what have you. I don't, re- I don't, that's not coming to me at all. The other thing that's interesting in my experience is that I don't care who she is. I'm so happy to be with her. I don't care who she is. She's perfect. I'm home. That's what I know. I'm not thinking about Chad, here, nothing. I'm so happy. I'm with her. That's all I care about. And I try to tell folks also, like, you know, my visual, if I had a tail, it was wagging. Like wagging off like a puppy. I was just so happy. She is extremely comforting. Not saying or doing anything, just being with her. So then my gaze goes up above her. My head goes back further and I take in all the stars. And as ridiculous as this sounds, it's truly, they look like diamonds. Diamonds in the sky, truly. It's, they're glorious. I'm so happy. So I'm in this emotion. I'm beyond happy. About the time that I'm taking all this in and I don't have questions, I don't care. Nothing matters to me. One of those stars began to move and it was, and then others joined in. So just rounding this story off. At the moment that that happened, I shifted from bliss to, you know, maybe too strong of a word. I don't think so. Terror. I knew that those stars couldn't do that. So... If there's such a thing as logic, again, it seems to be popping in, and I am instantly terrified. All they were doing was dancing. It wasn't like they were threatening me, but that's all it took. She telepathically spoke to me in English, but it was clearly coming from her. It wasn't my voice, and it was so beautiful. Again, there you have it. There's the hook. I mean, it was beyond beautiful. The tone was beyond beautiful. And she called me by name and she said, Alta, don't be afraid. They're just scanning you. And at that moment when she said that, at that point, my heart felt like it was truly going to bounce out of my chest. It was racing so hard. But at the moment then she spoke, the next thing I know, I'm coming to sitting up in my house rubbing my arms. So, you know, point being, again, I'm with most physically beautiful blonde female I'd ever seen in my life or connected with in my life that, as I said, you know, certainly does not equate. I will also mention, if I might, just with this little bit of time that we, you know, maybe still have with you, how generous of you both and, you know, certainly your comments about regression because, Again, I don't know where I stand on any of this, but certainly believe Chad's true. Um, But I will tell you that I paid a world-renowned regressionist trained in this field a lot of money, several hundred dollars in cash. That was one of the real stupid things that I've done because I've done a lot of stupid things trying to get help. But that was very stupid because this woman didn't like me from the moment we met. It was real apparent to me, but not to, you know, take up your time with that story. But let no, me no, add, no. We go and tell your story. That's fine. Well, I, thanks. I just wanted to mention, because I find this part hysterical, 
I think that's what Chad and I survive on is the humor of so much of this craziness. You know, the regression certainly, well, let me just mention, this woman asked me to use the bathroom before before I laid down for this regression because she made it clear, you know, we don't want to interrupt in the middle of it. Okay. Well, I didn't have to go to the bathroom, but, and again, this is very personal, but I think it's hysterical. So I love this part of the story. I go in this bathroom. This is in a hotel suite and it's got a brand new roll of paper on the wall and I don't have to go, but I am very cooperative because I want this to work. Even though I know this woman doesn't like me. So I try as hard as I can, like a kid, to tinkle. I barely, <laughs> you will forgive this story. <laughs> I barely tinkle, but I did it. And I, the point of that is I used maybe a piece of that brand new paper off the roll. Barely. It takes me a second to wash my fingers. And before I could get that bathroom door open, that woman is in the doorway. She's coming in past me. We're going to pass in the doorway. I guess she's got to go. I take a few steps away from the door. I mean, I'm only away from the door a few steps. And I hear this evil voice, this woman's voice, basically ordering me back in the bathroom. Oh, now, I, I am like, what in God's name? When I step back to the bathroom door, this woman has got her arm stretched as hard as she can stretch it in her index finger, pointing as hard as she can point. Now, I cannot make this stuff up. This is so embarrassing. I would never, <laughs> I would never make this up. But every bit of that brand new roll of toilet paper that it was on that wall was now on the floor in front of the toilet, a couple of inches, in a huge mound. Now, that's not possible. Oh, that's very strange. That's not possible. Yeah. And yet that woman ordered me to clean that up. I mean, <laughs> ask me what I think about regression. <laughs> I will tell you. So did you end up Sometimes not, it, not going hysterical. through it? Did you end up not going through oh, it with her? You know, I had gone that far and I'd already paid and she wasn't giving back the money. So I laid down on that bed and I tried very hard. Needless to say, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But I tried really hard you know i gave it one for the oh what an you know an idiot but such as it is you, you as i always say you you do better when you know better yeah and, and i think if i don't no book the rules <laughs> with with something like that if you catch some sort of tension or like you said you just had the feel you, you had the feeling that this person didn't like you for whatever reason just going into it right. It's not going to work. Like it's not right. Gonna, and if it does, it's not going to be a good situation. You know, and again, it, it's and not easy the, to even repeat that yeah. my behavior. But well, that's all. You know, that too. That's you know, that, it's easy to say from here. I know when you just want answers, you're willing to go to great lengths to get the answers. Exactly. Right. So how does a brand new roll of toilet paper? Because that's all I'm left with, and I'm more interested than that than anything. Come yeah. off of a wall. In a matter of her and I crossing each other in a threshold of the bathroom door with no sound, no nothing. I mean, shh. Yeah, that's, that, a, that's... Well, that's an odd, <laughs> odd little detail, but 
the, uh, these these cases are all are just surrounded by odd little details. I mean, that's uh, exactly. Speaking of, so the, what's the deal with the wolf boy? So 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 she she sees a, a, a someone who turns into a wolf, right? But be- so this is before boy. the the abduction event, right? Right. right. She uh, she had dated him as I as I repeated for a minute. She was ready to move on. She's a very polite person. She invited him over to her. She lived in a duplex at the time on the other side of the river from the quarter divides by the Mississippi River. So she lives over on the other side. She asked him to come over. It's daylight. It's afternoon. So she can clearly see what she saw. And uh, they're standing on the porch, on the front porch. And she's giving him, his name was Will. I called him Dark Boy because he was her polar opposite. As I said to you, she's light, long blonde hair, happy laugh, so on and so forth. He's quite adorable, but he's long, dark hair, wolfy boy kind of feeling. So she's telling him she wants to see other folks. And as she's giving him the I like you butt story, he's becoming so emotional. Now, she says they're just a couple inches apart. I know her and she's, you know, she gets close when she's when she likes you. And she's standing right in front of his face, and she said that he shifted. He changed. She said he turned into a, I'll clean the language up, he turned into an effing wolf. And then she said she turned her head away instantly. And when she said that to me, she didn't need to prove nothing to me. But when she told me that, I knew exactly what she was saying, because that's exactly what I did when I saw that, whatever that was in the sky. My head jerked away instantly. Shocked. Then she turned her head back. He must have shifted back human and then shifted a second time. When he did it the second time, now all she's seeing is his head, his face. Because she's right there, you know, in his face, basically. But she said that when he did it the second time, she said in a very stern, of course, shocked voice, you just turned into, you know, an effing wolf. And she said he responded in a very startled voice. You saw that. Like he got caught. I'm like, what the, what? Oh, my God. So, you know, this takes place just prior to this event of what others say, abduction. Yeah. You use the word for abduction. I just just use use, a new word. Yeah, Yeah. I I use abduction as shorthand for, like I said, even from my experience. I I will say abduction even though I I believe I never left my bed. It's it's just a shorthand. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, this this takes place just prior to that. And then, uh, you know, finishing out that story, since you're so, you know, sweet, kind to hear us, me in particular on this, she says that, you know, as I told you, her car hits a parked car, knocks off rearview mirror, jolts her too. Different section of the city, the car seems to be driving itself, but now she's trying to gain control of it, heading to his house. Now, Wolfie Boy is not somebody I guarantee you she would ever see again after having that kind of an encounter. Not ever again. But that's exactly where she's headed. And it's somewhere, like I said, 3, 4 in the morning. He doesn't live in a nice, you know, he's in the hood. Not someplace she should be strolling about by herself at that time in the morning. Nor would she be. So anyhow, she gets to his place. And it's just like a very creepy movie. I mean, it's a creepy movie. She claims lives in a like a fourplex, like a big old house divided up into these four apartments. I guess it's got a downstairs apartment. 
huge iron gate around the or fence around the, the yard, always locked. Of course, not on this morning when she drives up, it's wide open. She goes up his steps. He's inside the front door playing guitar. She says he stops playing guitar and says something very creepy like either we've been or I've been waiting for you. She said she goes in his house, which is too weird, and she becomes hysterical, like a controlled hysteria. That's crazy because I've never seen her cry that I remember. She's not built like that. But she becomes real hysterical, crying. She said he puts that guitar down and leads her into a room, lays her down. You know, guesstimating, it had to have been a relatively short amount of time because the sun seems to just be rising. She said her eyes open up. And she realizes she's dressed, so she doesn't believe he's done anything to her. And she says she just gets up and gets the F out of there. That's the Wolfie Boy story. As far as she's concerned, I have Chad share with you so you know that he's still here and, you know, got an amazing voice. I have Chad share with you what we discovered about Wolfie Boy some years later. Oh, please. Please do. Well, we had found out that his mother was a, a what they call a swamp witch down here in the bayous. And, of course, they have the Rougarou down here, which has always been associated with the, uh, the, the witch, the, the swamp witch. And the Rougarou is almost like a pet. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Pet wolf. But it's, it, they're like a werewolf. You know, they're like a swamp mm-hmm. where it's what I guess that they call the swamp werewolf. They have a big Rougarou festival and... You know, I believe he's from that part of the area where they have this. And Well, so but. essentially the end of that Wolfie Boy story after we discover, you know, he's connected with this, all this other voodoo witchy stuff. Fast forward, this happens to us in 97. Now we're in 2001. Chad and I have separated. He has left New Orleans and gone to Alabama. I've stayed behind. We, I have a very short encounter with an old friend I haven't seen in several years. This guy happens to be a traveling artist who also happens to be originally from Montauk, New York. Now, back in the day, I didn't know nothing about Montauk, New York, except Montauk, New York. I've spent a lot of time investigating and spending a lot of years studying now and have discovered a lot of strange things about Montauk. This guy, as I think back about it all, was a bit odd himself. He was extremely tall, like seven foot kind of tall, very thin. And I realize, you know, folks can grow that big. But uh, he just, you know, he was a, kind of an odd character anyhow, but aren't, I guess, a lot of artists. Well, anyhow, his name is Rich. We hadn't seen him in years. He happens to see me one afternoon, says, let's get a drink. We sit down at an outdoor cafe. He orders a Coke. I get a beer. And he's very distressed to learn that Chad and I have separated. It shocked everybody. But we did truly implode from these experiences. This didn't turn out real well for us, no matter how airy-fairy it sounds about our encounters, our experiences. The aftermath and all of that has been pretty rock and roll. So Rich finds out, and he's, you know, my point is, is his, uh, his compassion is huge. And I'm very taken because I needed some compassion at that point. I wasn't doing well. Well, all of a sudden, he goes from being this really wonderful friend that I needed at that moment, how selfish of me, and immediately shifts the conversation to, 
hey, have you heard about Will? And I'm like, Will? Wolf Dark Boy? You're talking about Dark Boy? Will, how did, I didn't even know you knew him. Now, now I'm starting to really freak out because this conversation has changed dramatically. And we're talking about a character that I didn't even know this guy knew. And I'm like, uh, no. And he says, yeah, he says, he's going around telling everybody. He's going around telling everybody. He's got to catch a bus. He's got to get out of town because the aliens are after him. And I just want you to know, you know, just again, winding this story up about this wolfy boy character. He, at that point that, that our friend said that to me, now very briefly after he said this, he's got to go. It's like our conversation just ended. He's, he's got to go. And uh, I remember us hugging goodbye, and off he went. And I am left feeling really pissed off all of a sudden. I'm real angry inside because I'm not, again, thinking paranormal, high strangeness, nothing. I'm just pissed. I'm thinking, where are the cameras? Like, I'm on somebody's really, really bad candid camera, and I'm tired of it because none of this makes any sense. You know, when I go through that insanity with the female that took the money to regress me and the toilet paper roll, you know, on the floor kind of thing, I truly can laugh at that and still see that as just, oh, my God. You know, I wanted to be punished, so apparently here I go and, you know, let's make a joke out of it. But when this happened with this guy and him making these statements to me and then just leaving, I was just really over it at that point. I just was so over it. It was strange, my reaction and my emotions, how they had changed pretty dramatically also. So, yeah, it was, you know, Chad and I were separated for three months, and then he came back and retrieved me and moved me to Alabama with him. And so, yeah, we've been together ever since, still having strange experiences. That's kind of the long and the short of it as far as that 97 event. Wow. Well, I tell you what, what I'm going to do is end the main portion of the show. And then if you would like to stay on and if you could tell me about some of the other experiences, uh, maybe do a, a patron show with you guys if that works for you. It's awesome for us. We're... Okay. We're going to have Alta and Chad on for an extra segment, which will be going to our patrons. Their book is Orbducted in the French Quarter. How can people get that again? Or how can they get in touch with you again? We have the... Our Facebook page with the same title, or Abducted in the French Quarter, uh, you can contact me direct there. We can go through PayPal, or you can go to Etsy. We, uh, we do have them on, uh, offer them on Etsy. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for telling your story. And like I said, patrons, uh, they'll be back. And if you're a patron of the show, you'll get to hear more. Thank you. Thank you. Alta and Chad's other experiences are presented in another full episode for our patrons. These experiences include a couple Bigfoot encounters, one of them very intense, additional UFO-related high strangeness, and more. See patreon.com slash strangefamiliars for details. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Darkhollerarts.com Intro and background music by Stonebreath. See stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.